0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, amuka na unai.
1: Happy Friday and a very good morning to you. Welcome to Africa, rise and shine. You are listening to Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are broadcasting live from Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and uh, on the frequency 11925 kHz on the 19-metre band to Far West Africa, as well as on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. My name is Kahisho Seketelo in studio with Anne Musa Tabiso Lehoku and Fikile Lengwati. Your top stories this hour. DRC opposition leader Jean-Pierre Bemba slams the country's justice system. South African judge grants requests to cross-examine state capture witnesses. In economics, agriculture experts call for transformation of sector in Africa. And looking at your sports news, South Africa ready for AFCON qualifier against Libya. Anne Moussa standing by with your
2: news.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Ann Moussa. Djibouti has held a new era in its relations with rival Eritrea, whose foreign minister paid a surprise visit to the country as part of a regional bid to soothe tensions between the neighbors. The two countries have been at loggerheads for decades over the disputed border region of Domera, leading to clashes in 2008. Qatar brokered a peace deal in 2010, but relations have remained strained. The visit came a day after the presidents of Somalia and Eritrea and Ethiopia's foreign minister met in Asmara, Eritrea. Libya says it will reopen the capital's only functioning airport, closed a week ago amid clashes between rival militia. Matiga International Airport is expected to resume flights after a ceasefire was brokered to end the fighting that killed 66 people and wounded 187. The clashes in Tripoli erupted last week when militia from a town south of Tripoli attacked southern neighbourhoods of the capital, prompting militia supporting the UN-backed government in Tripoli to come to the city's defence. Health authorities in Zimbabwe have confirmed that an outbreak of cholera in the capital Harare has claimed the life of at least one person. Four other deaths are being investigated, the BBC's Shinganyoka reports. Over 30 people have been hospitalized with vomiting and diarrhea, symptoms typical of cholera. City authorities are trying to determine the source of the outbreak, so far confined to two areas in the capital where tap water is in short supply. Health officials say they've moved quickly to stop the disease from spreading, but they've urged Hararians to wash their hands and avoid drinking untreated water. Prosecutors in Mexico have unearthed the remains of more than 160 people in the Gulf state of Veracruz. State prosecutor George Winkler says they found the mass grave following a top-off. He says the bodies were buried at least two years ago and many items have been found which will help to identify them. (laughs)
1: Supervise personalmente los trabajos in el area de búsqueda. I personally supervise the work in the search area. Because of security reasons for those personnel still at the site carrying out work, the location has not been identified. Aside from human remains, we have found more than 200 items of clothing and 140 pieces of identification, such as various accessories and personal items.
3: And finally, former Zimbabwean First Lady Grace Mugabe says her mother's death has helped to bring reconciliation with the current President Emerson Mnangagwa. The relations between the two became frosty last year when they were vying for a top leadership position in the ruling ZANU-PF party. Sophie
4: Mukwena reports. Speaking during the memorial service of her mother, Aida Mafuru, Grace Mugabe thanked President Mnangagwa for arranging a chartered plane to bring her home from Singapore to mourn her mother. In a surprise move, Grace Mugabe, who was once a fierce critic of Mnangagwa, told Monas that the current president loves the Mugabes and that they too love Mnangagwa. She also said they pray that God give Mnangagwa wisdom to lead Zimbabwe. In a similar reconciliatory tone, former Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe said he has accepted the election results and that those who stage a coup knew that Dr. Sekeremai was his preferred successor.
3: And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time.
1: Good morning once again. This is Africa Rise and Shine on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. Former Democratic Republic of the Congo Deputy President Jean-Pierre Bemba has denounced denounced a long-delayed December presidential election as a parody after he was banned from contesting and accused President Joseph Kabila of trying to handpick a successor by eliminating serious rivals. Bemba was one of six presidential hopefuls who was excluded by the election commission from the December 23 vote. He appealed the decision, but the Constitutional Court earlier this week upheld the ban due to his conviction by the International Criminal Court for bribing witnesses at his war crimes trial. Jean Jean-Noël Bamouese reports from Kinshasa.
5: Jean-Pierre Bemba and his political party, the Movement for Liberation of Congo, well known as MLC, have put it clear they do not trust the Democratic Republic of Congo's justice. Bemba is one of the four candidates excluded from running in the presidential election that's expected here on December 23rd after the Constitutional Court confirmed the Independent National Electoral Commission's decision of burying Bemba from running for president. The Constitutional Court is the highest court in this country. It has ruled Bemba can't pretend to be the next president of DRC after the ICC found him guilty of bribing witnesses. The Movement for Liberation of Congo has then accused the ruling coalition to have manipulated both the Electoral Commission and the Constitutional Court. The MLC and its allies are evaluating the whole electoral process to decide if they have to continue being part of it or not if Bazaiba is MLC Secretary General the MLC reminds both the national and international community its goodwill and commitment for this process to move well but as for today the MLC cannot be reproached by nobody and then nobody for active tendency towards serious civil actions but there is nothing to be afraid of since everything must be done in respect of the law that's indeed the reaction of a senior executive of the ruling coalition who's also the national secretary of President Joseph Kabila's political party, the People's Party for Reconstruction and Democracy well known as PPRD Claude Machala told Channel Africa the constitutional court has just brought Jean-Pierre Bemba back to the law since he knew very well he couldn't run for president while he's convicted for bribing witnesses at the ICC Claude Machala believes jean Pierre Bempa is not honest. Coming to the Syria civil actions, the Movement for Liberation of Congo has announced this ruling coalition senior executive believes Jean-Pierre Bempa is not willing to stand some other years in jail. But what's true according to him is that Bempa and his MLC do not represent anything today. Claude Machala thinks it's the international media that are trying to bury in people's minds that Bempa is still strong but not really. Claude Marshallah explains
6: Planes. Who is Mr. Bema today?
7: Nothing, you know. That is what international media is willing to question minds here yeah, in Congo. Actually, Bema is nothing, you know. I think that you can uh, do things against. Law against,
6: uh, the country, you can also get spend some other years
5: in Meanwhile, the Independent National Electoral Commission has called on political parties and platforms to mobilize their supporters for them to go and check their names on the electoral rolls as this is available since last Monday. Jean-Noel Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
1: The South African government has committed to train a million young people between 2019 and 2030 to become data scientists. As the the demand for data scientists within the business and research fields grows exponentially, South Africa is under immense pressure to address the skills gap. To help South Africa produce more data scientists, the Explore Data Science Academy, EDSA, has announced internships for its 12-month accredited skills data science program in 2019. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Sean Dipnall, CEO and founder of Explore Data Science Academy. Hello, Sean, and welcome.
8: Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me.
1: Fantastic. Tell us, Sean, please, uh, what is data science?
8: So, data science is solving problems using data. Uh, it's as simple as that.
1: Okay. And how big is the demand for data scientists in a developing country like ours? Um, so,
8: the demand is huge. Uh, as you said uh, in the intro, there's a, a request or, or project to get a million data scientists in the next 12 years in South Africa. Um, you know, what the exact numbers today we're unsure, but certainly there are, you know, tens of thousands of data scientists required in South Africa and we're producing hundreds uh, through the through the current education system.
1: And now you have opened the data science academy uh, earlier this year in Cape Town. Tell us more about that. So so we launched
8: January this year, uh, hundred students sponsored by BCX. Um, we had 10,000 applications, and we picked the top 100, and yeah, going going really well. Uh, so well that we're expanding to Caltech next year and moving the 100 uh, to 400.
1: So when you say the top students, uh, can you tell us now uh, what, what are the requirements for one to be considered for, for the academy?
8: So our recruitment process is quite uh, innovative and, and inclusive. Um, you have to write a series of tests, and the, the top students go through. So we test for aptitude and problem-solving capability. And don't ask for your qualifications. So in our class, we've got you know, a couple of PhDs, you know, 20, 30 matrix, doctors, actuaries, statisticians. There's a big blend of, of, of candidates, all chosen from the their performance of the test.
1: Wow. And uh, how is this uh, academy funded? Uh, are you receiving any government support? We're not uh, at the moment. The, the funding model at the moment
8: is a... Is a, is a corporates will sponsor the students so it's free for the students uh, and the corporates in this case bcx pays the tuition and hopefully hires the students at the end of the year
1: and any plans to uh, expand beyond cape town
8: absolutely so as i said next year we're moving to kauteng uh we're moving from 100 students to 400 and yeah hopefully from there it becomes you know a thousand two thousand three thousand going forward
2: sounds really
1: good uh and where can we get more information on the explore data science academy
8: So our website has all our information, uh, which is www.explore-datascience.net.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Sean, for your time.
8: datasciencenet Cool. Thank you. Good luck.
1: That's Sean Dipnall, CEO and founder of Explore Data Science Academy here in South Africa.
0: Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu.
2: We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people we are aligning ourselves with the
9: struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country
2: Hashtag Mama Sisulu centenary
1: Channel Africa leading the women's Month conversations. Two South African peacekeepers were wounded in a rebel ambush near the epicenter of an Ebola outbreak in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. The attack on the outskirts of the city of Beni underscored the challenges authorities are facing in tackling a flare-up of the deadly disease in a conflict zone always stalked by dozens of armed groups. The Peacekeepers' Patrol was attacked in the town of Ngadi by militants believed to belong to the Allied Democratic Forces, a Ugandan Islamist group active in eastern Congo. South African National Defence Force spokesperson Brigadier General Mafi Mgobozi explains.
9: So as The South African National Defense Force, we can confirm that and on, on Monday, uh, at about uh, 2000 hours, uh, our patrol, which was patrolling in the area of Mungadi, the, in the uh, northern DRC, uh, in the eastern DRC, they were attacked by the rebels. And then our soldiers, they fought very hard there uh, and then during that fight, only two were received minor injuries, which I can just see now at the present moment, those two soldiers, they have been treated, and then they are back on duty again. Then they spent
2: How serious were the injuries, uh, Brigadier General?
9: No, the one who was just got a minor injury on the shoulder, uh, which was, he was treated, and another one, he was just uh, got uh, the injury, the uh, that injury which was not caused by the uh, the bullet, but it was caused by the chair, which the bullet went through the chair, and then, the it where he was sitting? Then, depending the uh, at the watch at the patch, uh, that was a minor thing. Because now uh, he was just treated, and then is continuing with their their as usual.
2: What are the challenges that the South African soldiers are facing when they escort health officials tackling a flare-up of the deadly Ebola disease in an active conflict zone stalked by armed groups in the DRC?
9: As you you know, DRC is the DRC that there is war there. Our soldiers are prepared that if they escort these medical people to those areas that they can can find themselves in the line of fire. that is why I'm saying this one of the challenges that although they are they, they are escorting the medical personnel who's going to give help to the people of the DRC, but to find our soldiers in that situation where they get uh, fired on by the rebels. But our soldiers, what I can say is that they know that they are in DRC not just the holiday, they are in DRC to fight so that they pull off the people of DRC at the end can get the everlasting peace.
1: That's Brigadier General Mahfim Kobozi, spokesperson of the South African National Defence Force, talking to Kumbelo Munjelele.
10: Welcome
11: to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor.
12: Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here.
11: Palesa Mokubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palessa to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event. I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part
13: and do it really,
6: really well.
1: Right. South Africa's Deputy Chief Justice, Raymond Zondo, who is the chairperson of the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture, is today expected to give judgment in applications for leave to cross-examine witnesses next week. Yesterday, Justice Zondo heard submissions from various implicated persons to cross-examine some of the witnesses. He has since granted businessman Farnatlongwane permission to cross-examine former Deputy Finance Minister Mkibisi Jonas, Former President Jacob Zuma's chief of staff, like La and Hawks official Manlam Tolo, will cross-examine former ANC member of parliament Fiki Mentor. But Zondo has reserved judgment in the applications of AJ Gupta, Rajesh Gupta and Dudu Zuma. Mbali Tetani reports.
10: As proceedings immediately got underway, the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture Chairperson of the Commission, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, once again called on the public to come forward with any evidence of state capture and commended several high-ranking members of the public service that are reported to want to give testimony. I
7: did see an article indicating that a former minister Uh, of communications, Mr. S. P. W. and some past officials in the intelligence and or secret service, uh, Mr. Njanja and Mr. Sheik, according to the article, um, know something and they said they, according to the article, they would uh, be prepared to give evidence in the commission if called upon to do so. I just want to take this opportunity to commend them for their decision to uh, come forward and make themselves available. I have asked the legal team and the investigation team to please waste no time in contacting them so that they can be interviewed to see whether they have any knowledge of matters that we are investigating that they can come and testify about. Uh, We hope that more and more uh, people in the executive and others who may know something about what we are investigating will make a decision that they will help the country to know exactly what happened and that they will not keep quiet with important and material. Information
10: soon after legal representative for AJ Gupta, Mike Hellens, first presented his application. Where Hellens urged Justice Zondo to use his discretion when considering to grant leave to cross examine witnesses. AJ Gupta has applied to cross examine the evidence of former ANC MP Feiki Mentor and former GCIS head Tamba Maseko.
14: Cross examination has throughout the history of the law been demonstrated to be the most reliable mechanism available to human beings for the testing of the veracity, reliability and accuracy of the evidence of any witness. We submit that the starting point of the decision, whether to allow cross-examination of any witness, but in this instance of the witnesses Mr. Ms. Mentor and Mr. Maseku, should be the nat- that the natural inclination that is in accordance with the principles of natural justice, which this Commission is enjoined to apply, is that cross-examination should be allowed.
10: Hillens argued in the commission that the Gupta brothers filed an affidavit that they will not be able to appear before the commission as they are fugitives from justice and fear they will be arrested by the hawks. Hillens told the commission that his clients believe the hawks and police are recklessly incompetent and are a national embarrassment.
14: Their attitude is that they will not come to South Africa to appear in this forum at this place in South Africa at all. Yes. Their attitude, however, is that they will appear in person before the Commission at a, at, at another place, uh, which can be agreed upon with the Commission, um, in live, live in person before you, with the evidence leaders to cross-examine them, and they undertake to give evidence there at that place. Alternatively, by such video link as you deem appropriate, Um, with them being not here and the commission being here.
10: But Justice Zondo asked the Gupta brothers' legal representative that if the Guptas feel they will be arrested unlawfully, the courts can be approached on an urgent basis to seek remedy.
7: I assume that really what they are saying is uh, we fear that we will be arrested by the hawks incompetent police
14: at the instance of incompetence yes, So what they
7: are fearing is being arrested now if you get arrested isn't the position that you have a remedy
1: workers at south africa's petrochemical firm Sasol, affiliated to trade union <clears throat> solidarity yesterday embarked on a strike <clears throat> in secunda in the bumalanga province the strike is over the share scheme at the firm That is exclusively offered to black staff Solidarity believes the scheme is discriminatory As it excludes white workers Solidarity says its strike at Sasol Could delay the current scheduled maintenance program With potential cost implications for the petrochemical firm To talk to us uh, more on this We are now joined by Solidarity's Dirk Herman. Hello Dirk, welcome Hi, thank you very much Please remind our listeners why your members are striking at Sasol
15: Well, it is basically about a new scheme that Sasol introduced, and the specific scheme is (coughs) an employee share ownership scheme, and the employee share ownership scheme then excludes the white workers. Now, we say it's actually not a black and white issue. It's about the class, and you don't divide the working class in black and white. And we believe that we must, in line with the mining charter of South Africa, include all workers if it comes to share ownership schemes. Was the strike a success yesterday? It was a great success. We were uh, very surprised with the outcome. It was much more than we thought. It actually started on Monday already with a slow strike, um, and then it um, continued and built up to Wednesday when we handed over memorandums, and then a full-blown strike Yesterday, so we are quite satisfied um, with that. It's actually a democracy um, in working in South Africa or in making in South Africa. And I think the strike of yesterday helped to shape the democracy in South Africa because we are busy to give content to something sensitive like. Transformation. And we say that Sussel actually had a very lazy argument by simply saying that you just exclude someone on base of race, and that is transformation. We see, think it must be more nuanced, and, um, but race can't be the only factor, and we must try to find other ways. We can't address... Uh, past in South Africa, uh, exclusive past, and we all know about that, and we must address the imbalances, but we can't address that by an exclusive future. We must find a kind of other solution.
1: Now you chose to uh, have the strike in Secunda
15: Why Secunda? Yeah. Well so Secunda is of course the biggest plant of SASOL, And we, uh, the majority of our members are there as well And um, Secunda already started with a shutdown process And that is a big maintenance process And our members are the skilled guys They know exactly what's going on in the maintenance pro- um, process And we know exactly what to do when um, To make sure that we put financial pressure on Sassel And that was quite a huge success at this stage We know SASOL loses every hour that you delay the maintenance process a couple of million rands, and we already delayed the process now for two days so there's a lot of financial pressure on um, Sasol at this stage but there's of course also the pressure of the court of the public opinion I think um, Sasol can't morally justify um, their scheme at this stage and that also put a lot of pressure on the company tell us about your demands um, your main demands what were they I think we made it very simple, and that is that Sassol must align this specific scheme of theirs with the draft mining charter of South Africa. And the draft, uh, draft mining charter actually states that if it comes to share ownership On um, worker class level, then everyone must be included. That is the mining charter, and we say that SASL must align with that specific mining charter. Now, we had a lot of discussions um, when we negotiated this mining charter, and I think the whole issue is actually resolved. And the um, resolution that we had um, with the mining charter was that workers are workers, and all workers must be included. Remember, we don't talk here about managers and top execs and rich um, um, white people. We are talking about ordinary blue collar guys working in blue overalls um, side to side with their black colleagues and our experience is actually the relationships on work floor level is actually good um, and it is that's a big mistake if you di- divide there on base of race your response to your demands as yet? Well, um, our demand was that they must um, react um, within seven days. They said that they will react within seven days. In the meantime, we are continuing with the pressure, and we hope that we can force them back to the negotiation table in even um, a shorter period of time. And what next? Well, this issue is uh, actually a bigger issue that is the issue of trying to find a real content of transformation in South Africa. We said to find balance. We think the pendulum swung too far, and um, so we will have a focus on SASL, but we also decided to go to the Human Rights Commission of South Africa to give us clarity. The Human Rights Commission brought out a report um, um, just uh, earlier this year where they say that... Um, you can't use race as the only criteria in transformation. So we also plan to take this to the Human Rights Commission because a solution within SASOL is a solution for South Africa.
1: And what if management isn't um, a seat to your demands? What then?
15: Well, we planned for three weeks um, disruption Um, in Sassol and because of our specific skills base within Solidarity we know that that will have a major um, effect and it's not necessary for the workers to go out all for the three weeks. We can schedule that very very clever. Um, So this um, we will focus on one unit this day, one unit the other day etc. because we know exactly how the production process um, will work. So that is three weeks but we've also decided to use other avenues as well. So we wrote a letter of complaint to the U.S. United States Stock Exchange, because SASOL is listed there as well. We are asking us um, them um, if SASOL is actually adhering to the U.S. regulators' um, um, uh, um, specific um, uh, proposals on how t- um, to deal with race issues. And then we have the Human Rights Commission, and we're talking to the um, Department of Mineral and Energy. And so we have a lot of other things as well at this stage running alongside pleasure Sounds
1: like a fully fleshed plan indeed. Thank you very much for your time Dirk.
15: Appreciate. It. Thank you very much.
1: That's Dirk Herman, uh, Chief Executive of South Africa's Trade Union Solidarity.
10: Channel Africa.
0: Addis
12: <laughs> yağ- <coughs> Ababa. reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali.
0: Africa, rise and shine.
9: I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia.
12: This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare,
5: Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwesi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa.
0: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja.
2: This is Moki Kinzaka
0: in Yawundi, informing the world about Africa
10: in Mohali Lesotho and I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa
0: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa.
1: Time now for your news headlines with Anne Moussa.
3: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, Libya to reopen the capital's only functioning airport, Matiga International Airport, closed a week ago amid clashes between rival militia. Health authorities in Zimbabwe confirmed the outbreak of cholera in the capital, Harare. And Amnesty International says the use of the death penalty is declining, with more than two-thirds of countries having abolished or ceased to use it. Those are the stories making headlines.
0: Annual Africa
10: Kulta njoyf Addis Ababa
0: Silva Noscamera reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali Africa Rise and Shine
9: I am Hilda Kekelo in Zambia
0: this is Simon Muchemwa in Harare,
5: Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Channel Africa, Kinshasa.
0: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja.
2: This is Moki Kinzeka
0: in Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa.
10: In Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana for Channel Africa in Mombasa. South Africa will
1: this coming Sunday join the rest of the world in observing the International Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Day. On the day, people all around the world gather for events to draw attention to the dangers of drinking during pregnancy and the plight of individuals and families who struggle with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. To speak to us about this, we are joined on the line by Lian-Marie Drotsky, Project Manager at the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research. Hello, Lynn marie Welcome.
13: Good morning, Morty.
1: In a nutshell, what exactly are fetal alcohol spectrum disorders?
13: FAHD is a spectrum of disorders that's the result of alcohol use during pregnancy. So when uh, a woman is pregnant, and often the woman don't realize that they're pregnant already, uh, and she uses alcohol, that affects the development of the baby in uterus. And it can result in various um, disabilities. Um, It affects physically the child. It can result in growth retardation of the child. But it also affects the brain development, which is the... Um, the most concerning part of the disorder. So that results in learning and behavioral problems of the child, especially later at school.
1: And are we talking a specific amount of alcohol consumption or, um, you know, um, is there a specific amount?
13: No amount of alcohol is safe during pregnancy. So every woman is different and every child even in uterus. Is different. So um, the message is that absolutely no amount of alcohol is safe during pregnancy.
1: And is the, is the consumption of alcohol among uh, pregnant women uh, a big problem in the country?
13: FAHD is quite a big problem in the country with prevalence rates varying from 2.6% in Gauteng to as high as 28% in the Northern Cape. So FAR has done prevalence studies in five of the provinces so far, and it definitely is a big concern in the
1: country. So that says to me there's a higher prevalence uh, among rural um, um, habitats. Is that correct? And why is that?
13: Well, there's um, various theories around that. so the, the concerning factors, obviously the alcohol use. So in communities where where the prevalence of alcohol use amongst the general public is so high, also then it affects the alcohol use amongst pregnant women because what we found in our studies is that pregnant women doesn't drink on their own. They drink with either their partners or other family members. And um, in smaller communities where we these little elves offered for the pregnant woman and she can't really get away from everybody around her that, that, that's drinking, often she joins the crowd that's drinking.
1: Now, um, how can we ensure that educational messages and efforts around alcohol and liquor abuse and drinking while pregnant are not hindered in any way, um, shape or form?
13: Well, it's important that all of us take responsibility for this message um, that no amount of alcohol is safe during pregnancy and that we support pregnant women. It's, um, like I said before, they don't drink alone. And um, when we encourage them not to drink and we offer them um, an alternative to the alcohol that everybody else is using, it's easier for them to stay away from alcohol. So what we're also doing on the 9th of September when you gave the introduction is we um, wear a fast knot similar to what's worn on AIDS Day as the AIDS ribbon. And the symbol of the fast knot is um, there's a circle in the knot that symbolizes the womb that should be a healthy place for the baby to develop and the rope that um, the knot is tied from. Symbolizes the umbilical cord that takes the nourishment to the unborn baby. Whether it's um, good food that nourishes the baby, but unfortunately also the alcohol that then damages the baby. And the knot also has frayed ends that symbolizes the the frayed neurodevelopmental system um, when it's damaged by alcohol. But the knot is tied with a very strong reef knot, and that's the support that we as a community need to offer to pregnant women so that they don't drink during pregnancy and then also to people and children that are living with the effects of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder.
1: And lastly, Leanne-Marie, to those mothers who perhaps might say um, nothing happened with uh, my last pregnancy and I was drinking throughout my last pregnancy, Um, you know there's nothing wrong with it. What uh, is your uh, parting shot?
13: Well, two comments on that. The first is that um, as it is a spectrum of disorders sometimes there are softer signs that is not as obvious as um, with full-blown fetal alcohol syndrome so in the softer signs might be some learning disabilities or impulsive behavior that she might not even realize is the result of alcohol consumption. That's the first comment. And the second comment is that just like every woman is different, every pregnancy is also different. So one can never feel comfortable that um, because I didn't see the effects from a previous pregnancy, I'm okay to drink during this pregnancy because you never know what will happen during this pregnancy. Every pregnancy is different and unique, just like every woman and every child, an unborn child is unique.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Leanne-Marie.
13: Thank you. Thank
1: you. That's Leanne-Marie Dronski, Project Manager at the Foundation for Alcohol-Related Research.
0: Channel Africa.
10: Cultural Joey Addis Ababa.
0: Kalimera, reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. Africa Rise and Shine.
9: I am Hilda Kekeloa
12: in Zambia. This is Simon Muchema in Harare, Zimbabwe.
5: Jean-Noël Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an
0: African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja.
2: This is Moki Kinzeka.
0: In Yaoundi, informing the world about Africa.
10: In Lesotho. And I am Diana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa.
1: Deputy CEO of Africana Rights Group, AfriForum, Ernest Ruatz, rattled the South African Constitutional Review Committee during his oral presentation on whether Section 25 of the Constitution should be amended to expropriate land without compensation. This came as Ruiz used his presentation to slam the ruling ANC and the EFF. The National House of Traditional Leaders, the South African Catholics Conference and the Foundation for Human Rights also made their presentations. Mercedes Besent tells us more.
4: AFRI Forum Deputy CEO and Roots was criticized by the ANC, EFF, UDM and ACDP for his presentation and the inflammatory statements made by AFRI Forum over the last three months. He was told his presentation did not focus on the question of amending Section 25 of the Constitution but rather slammed the ANC and the EFF. This saw UDM MP Mnitisi Dani interjecting. The committee chairperson, Lewis and Zimande's hands were full, but the roots who referred to the clarity-seeking questions of MPs as stromen arguments unapologetically stood by the contents of his presentation.
16: I did not come here thinking that I would convince certain members of this parliament, but I, I believe that what we can do with our presentation is to try to expose what the ANC and the EFF are doing. Point of water, sir. I think... No, no. of water, members,
12: sir. Uh, uh, Point of uh, Mr. Chairperson, you see, now, I'd you like see to just Make sure that questions. Trump is listening. Uh, uh, make sure Trump is listening. Uh, uh,
16: uh, 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 members, you see now. You see now. He I it is to to the, right now. You have made your statements. I didn't stop you. He must now make his statement, and we, have still, have, we still have presenters to make the point, to make their presentation. Mr. Chairperson, there is a very big, important difference between the terms straw man and steel man. A straw man is when you try to attribute things to someone that that person has never said or that that person doesn't believe. When you make a steel man argument is when you try to portray what your opponent is saying as accurately as possible so that you can respond to the actual position of that person. What we've heard in the last 20 minutes are repeated straw man arguments, things that are being said that apparently AfriForum is saying that AfriForum is not saying. It's not possible for me to respond to every single straw man argument or every single false accusation about what AfriForum is. Allegedly climbing.
4: Other presenters who made oral submissions included the chairperson of the National House of Traditional Leaders, Khosi Mathangu. He says land must be returned to traditional communities who are some of the rightful owners. Mathangu says traditional authorities existed long before the Western system was imposed on the African society.
12: We have the view that the expropriation of land should not include land under traditional authorities because one that land is already owned and cared for by those traditional communities. Two, that land is still held in trust by this very same government through the Minister of Rural Development. Before the Western system of governance was imposed on Africa, the people respected and observed the governance system which establishes traditional leadership as an institution and not a personality in the form of its traditional leader of what is happening now. Traditional authorities served as political, military, spiritual and cultural leaders and were regarded as custodians of values of societies.
4: The Foundation for Human Rights says Section 251 of the Constitution must be amended to address the slow pace of land reform, social inequalities, racial and gender land inequalities. Section 25 one which the foundation once amended, stipulates that no one may be deprived of property except in terms of law of general application. It further says no law may permit arbitrary deprivation of property. The foundation's Dumisan and Cebeza says a balance has to be struck. What
7: are the key concerns? It's low pace of land reform. It's the racial and gender inequality in land ownership, which continues to exist. It's control of land by individuals, especially women in communal areas, which is still a, a challenge. Access to land in urban areas, high levels of hunger, and high failure rate of land reform projects. Those are the key concerns. Now, our submission is that section 25 of the Constitution should be amended to make it less ambiguous in its attempt to balance the interests of of existing property owners and the vast majority of those who are of their property.
4: During his presentation, the Southern African Bishops' Conference Parliamentary Liaison Officer Mike Pothia has described the current debate on land expropriation without compensation as a populist rhetoric from across the political spectrum. He says there are other alternatives that should be used instead of changing the Constitution.
0: We would like to point out that the populist rhetoric comes from virtually every corner of the political spectrum in this matter. There are those that are going around saying that South Africa will become another Zimbabwe if there's any expropriation without compensation. And there are those who are saying it's the magic wand that's going to solve our problems. Neither of those things is true, and yet they're put out there. We would ask for a general toning down of that kind of rhetoric. We're also calling for more creative and imaginative thinking from everyone concerned. What about exploring other land tenure models that go beyond simply freehold ownership? In other words, e- exchanging one form of freehold ownership for another, or one owner for another owner.
4: Oral presentations are expected to be concluded today. The Banking Association of South Africa, Business Unity South Africa NetBank, the Legal Resource Center, and the John Langalibalele Dube Institute will all make their oral presentations on whether Section 25 of the Constitution should be amended. To expropriate land without compensation.
1: Tabiso has your economics news.
11: Good morning. Kenya's High Court has suspended a 16% value-added tax after massive fuel shortage hit parts of the capital, Nairobi. This following a strike called by petroleum transporters protesting against the new government tax. On Wednesday, many stations across the country reported dry pumps with those with diesel experiencing long queues of motorists seeking to fill up. On Thursday, many stations lacked both diesel and petrol. African governments are spending more on farm inputs, training and irrigation, and less on research and development, thereby reducing the productivity of the sector. This is according to agricultural experts meeting in Kigali, Rwanda, to discuss ways of making Africa food secure. They say for agricultural transformation to occur, Africa must invest in technology, research and development. The Food and Agriculture Organization's David Peary elaborates.
2: Now what we need to see is them going back to their countries and actually implementing what they themselves have committed. There are some countries that I think have made a lot of progress since Maputo in 2003 and for that matter since Malabo in 2014. But there are many other countries I think that are lagging behind. Now what this report is saying is that if the heads of state and government themselves are not fully committed to guide the process, then it becomes very difficult for a gradual transformation to take place. Agriculture cannot be left only to the Ministry of Agriculture, or for that matter to the Minister for Agriculture. I think you need a coordination mechanism with different ministries, and Minister for Finance, Minister for Planning. Even more important, the Minister of Agriculture.
11: For the past two weeks, the retail price of Irish potatoes in Rwanda has been giving up a going up rather significantly. This rise has prompted consumers to adjust consumption habits with businesses that use them as raw materials such as restaurants review and food prices. Irish potato traders say Rwanda is a free economy where the supply and demand of focuses are the key detriments with Irish potatoes, not exempt. The Zimbabwe Revenue Authority, Zimbra, says it's looking to reform its tax processes as part of measures to improve collections and expand the tax base. While collections have improved in the first half of the year in comparison to last year, the agency has struggled to meet the cash demands of the government, whose entire budget is funded from tax revenue. Zimbra raised 2.3 billion U.S dollars in the first half of the year, but according to official figures the government ran a budget deficit of 1.4 billion US dollars over the same period. Motor manufacturer Ford is recalling two million pickup trucks in the US and Canada over fire and smoke concerns relating to seatbelt parts. Ford says some components of seatbelts could generate excessive sparks when used, which could lead to a fire risk. The company says it received 17 reports of smoke or fire in the US and six in Canada, but adds it's not Away of any injuries or accidents As a result of the issue the US dollar trades at 1082 Botswana Pula. It's at 1026 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, so the US dollar is trading at 413 Brazilian real, At 6861 Russian ruble, and at 71.81 Indian rupee. 684 Chinese Yuan. 1535 to the South African Rand. 77 pence to the British pound. 85 cents to the euro. Gold 1,201 dollars. Platinum 789 pounds. The price of brand crude oil, 76 cents $1. $0.41 cents a barrel from an African perspective.
1: Keep up to date with all the weekend sporting action with Figi Lelungate.
2: First up in this hour we begin with uh, football news. Veteran Bafana Bafana goalkeeper Idume Nkune has highlighted the importance of not dropping points at home ahead of their twenty nineteen African Nations Cup qualifier against Libya in Devon on Saturday afternoon. South Africa have bad memories of their last trip to the Moses Mabida Stadium, which will host the game, having lost there to Minos Cape Verde Islands twelve months ago. The result derailed their World Cup qualification campaign and saw them miss out on a trip to Russia 2018. Now, Kune hopes they can bounce back from that setback against the Libyans.
12: Uh, They are a great team. Uh, To be quite honest, they are a good team. And we we cannot go into this game and underestimate them. Uh, They might might surprise us, but uh, it's important, like I said, to, to follow the coach's instruction and do everything that we've been preparing here, training in order for us to, to, to win against them. But they are coming to South Africa and we, we can't afford to lose any matches whenever we're playing at home.
2: So it's important that we, we, we go for a win and for a clean sheet. South Africa and Libya currently share top sport in Group E after winning their opening games of the campaign last year. South Africa had then ousted pre-group favorites Nigeria 2-0 while the North Africans overcame Seychelles 5-1 in their game. Kune says those results made this game even more important for both sides in their bid to continue the momentum.
12: We know how important this match is. We started off with a great victory away from home. So we have uh, new faces in the team and they're going to show us their quality in the, in the match against uh, Libya to, to, to take the team forward.
2: On to rugby news. Coach Rasi Erasmus has made six changes for the Springboks clash against Australia in Brisbane on Saturday. Erasmus will be hoping his team bounces back after their loss to Argentina in their last match. Peter Stev Dutoy, who has been given a chance in the starting lineup, says, It will be a difficult match against the Wallabies who come from two defeats against New Zealand
15: always nice to starting in a starting lineup on the field and it's going to be an important role for, role for everyone on the field especially for the guys who, who's getting a chance to start and that, that's part of our game to to get a good start with intensity as well so I think it's, it's going to be quite a challenging match this weekend for the Wallabies that came off two losses this weekend and they're going to try and, and, and define that they're not not a losing team as well.
2: The Wallabies have one of the best lose-forwards in the world, and the Springboks team will have to be weary of them. Peter Dutoy knows how important it is to up their match this weekend against some of the world's best lose-forwards. He says that it will be tough facing them. However, they have targeted the breakdowns this weekend and making sure they secure the ball.
15: Yeah, they've got some of the best loose forwards in the world, and the breakdown is something they're always targeted. And you know, when you play against them, it's going to be quite tough. There, so yeah, I think we've got to got to up our game as well, especially in the breakdown and secure our own ball.
2: On to tennis news: six-time champion Serena Williams swept aside Anastasia Sevastova on Thursday to reach a ninth US Open final, where she'll face Japanese trailblazer Naomi Osaka. Williams, seeded 17th as she seeks to add to her 23 Grand Slam titles for the first time since the birth of her daughter Olympia last year, needed just 66 minutes to dispatch the 19th seeded Sevastova 6-3 and 6 Love. Osaka, seeded 20th, became the first Japanese woman to reach a Grand Slam final with a 6-2, 6-4 victory over American Madison Keys, last year's beaten finalist. And finally... Swimming News 4 of South Africa's top swimmers will be involved in the opening leg of the FINA Swimming World Cup Series kicking off in Kazan, Russia today. Olympic gold medalist Chad Leclerc will be spearheading South Africa's charge as he goes in search of a record-breaking fifth series title. Leclerc has established himself as the top swimmer in the series, becoming the first male swimmer to win four titles in 2011, 2013, 2014 and 2017. The London 2012 Olympic champion and compatriot Cameron van der Berg were tied with three each before his 2017 feat, while Reg Niantling has two series titles behind his name. Leclerc will be joined by Gold Coast Commonwealth Games bronze medalist Ryan Kutzer, James Doge and Max Kisa. That's the spot news this hour.
0: Africa Rise and Shine Africa So Africa Amika na 2776
1: 300 two That's our WhatsApp line We are also on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1 uh, the handles you can use. You can also email us at info at channelafrica.org. From the Africa Rise and Shine team, we say have yourself a fantastic weekend. It's been an absolute pleasure. Taking us to the top of the hour now for the news on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa is SABC choristers with the song titled Bafana Bafana.
6: Bafana, 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 bravo, bravo, si, no, bravo, we all celebrate.